0: Welcome to the Audio Conference for Pastors. This episode is an archived broadcast with our host, Bobby Gilstrap. Bobby is a former pastor, church starter, director of missions, and now the lead missionary and executive director for the Baptist State Convention of Michigan. Now, let's join Bobby and his guests for this archived edition of the Audio Conference for Pastors.
1: Welcome to our Audio Conference for Pastors on Keys to Resolving Conflict with our guest, Dr. Roy Edgman. My name is Bobby Gilstrap, and I'm the host for today's conference. Let me introduce you to our guest for today's conference, and then we'll jump right into a time of questions and answers with him. Dr. Roy Edgman's professional life uh, has led him to be one of the country's uh, foremost experts on conflict resolution in churches. He's published around 30 articles and books and has consulted with numerous of churches of all sizes in all regions of the United States. He led the Southern Baptist Convention as a discipleship leader before retirement, and he is now actively involved in the transitional pastor ministry of Lifeway Christian Resources. Among his books that you may be familiar with are Foundations of the Faith, The Doctrines Baptists Believe, and The Ways of God, which is very popular right now. Dr. Edgman and his wife now reside in East Texas, and we're delighted to have him joining us today uh, to discuss with us this tremendous topic that is of great need for many of our churches today, Uh, and understanding conflict. Dr. Edgman, thank you for joining us, and welcome to today's audio conference for pastors.
2: Well, thank you, Bobby. It's really a joy to be with you today, and I'm sure that we're experiencing different kinds of weather uh, everywhere. We're expecting uh, storms to come in here just any time, but I don't think it will give us any problem uh, with uh, being able to have our, our clear communications.
1: Well, I will say this. If we lose you or anybody else, just dial back in and we'll pick up where we left off Uh the best we can. So we are glad to have you, and uh, uh, I know you are very, very busy. As we spoke earlier prior to the conference, you mentioned that uh, you're as busy now or busier than what you ever have been uh, in ministry. And uh, uh, In a way, that's positive uh, for you, but in a way that's negative because right now, Much of what you're doing in your ministry is dealing with the the issue of today's conference, and that is conflict and dealing with conflict and dealing with misunderstandings in churches. Uh, So for us, we are greatly honored and privileged to have you join us uh, to share some of your expertise. I know an hour is nowhere near the time that we really need to adequately cover the topic. So without wasting any more time, I want to ask you to do something for us, and that is kind of a kind of lay the groundwork for us, build a foundation for us for today's conference. Take a few minutes uh, and introduce us to the necessity of resolving uh, conflict in the church and some of those keys, and then we'll jump right into our questions that we've promoted to our conferees.
2: Well, I certainly will. I I appreciate this opportunity. Uh, Today, I think that the church is under more stress uh, than it's ever been uh, probably since the days of persecution in the Middle Ages and uh, the days even here in the United States uh, when uh, the, the church did not have freedom, and Baptist among uh, others, but especially Baptists, really uh, are the ones that led in the freedom of religion in America. But today uh, we are really having stress from all areas. We live in a... Uh, uh, a community, a civilization that has a very uh, lack of civility. And as Charles Colson said when he wrote his book on the church, he said that uh, uh, the, the the nature of our culture has the church by the neck and is choking it to death. And I think one of those things is, is a tension that comes out of our world into the church that creates... Uh, a lot of lack of civility in the church. But this is not a new thing. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, the very first uh, story of a family uh, has uh, Cain and Abel and uh, their disagreement that uh, that led even to death. And then uh, Jacob and Esau in the Old Testament and uh, the struggle that they had together. And then, of course, Saul and David. So there are struggles in the Old and New Testament alike. When we come into the New Testament, we find that there was conflict of uh, religious traditionalism when uh, Jesus tried to speak to that in John, the 8th chapter, in verses 1 through 11. And then there was the struggle of self-interest versus servanthood in Mark 10 and 35. And then there was uh, diversity and membership prejudice in Acts uh, 6, 1 through 3, when the deacons were uh, were chosen. And you can go right on through the New Testament and see that these struggles, even between two partners, uh, Barnabas and Paul, when uh, they disagreed over taking John Mark with them. So there's always been conflict, and to say that there has never been conflict is not to understand our world, our churches, our history. Just today, it just seems to be more defined than uh, it has ever been before. The definition of the word uh, conflict in the Latin means to strike together. Uh, Speed Lee, who has written quite a bit on this subject, says, Conflict happens when two pieces of matter try to occupy the same space at the same time. And Larry McSwain, who uh, has done a lot of writing in this area, says, Conflict is a situation in which two or more human Beings desire goals which they perceive as being attainable by one or the other but not by both. And then uh, probably just a definition that takes all of these, conflict is tension that exists because of real or perceived differences over resolving issues or problems. So when we think of conflict, it's not new. It's uh, been with us all the time. But how we handle it, is of tremendous importance, uh, not to let it get out of hand, not to let it get to a point where uh, people are so angry and are, are attacking one another, and let it get to the point where it begins to destroy the church, because conflict can certainly do that. And so what we want to talk about today is these: uh, how to handle, how to manage conflict. Uh, and every church has it, and the way it is managed by the pastor and leaders of that church determine whether it will be a detrimental thing or whether it will be something good will come out of it, and so that's what we're going to try to talk about uh, today. Uh, Let me just say two or three things about the truth about conflict. It's inevitable, but it's always neutral. It can be good or bad. It's according to the way we handle it and what we do with it. And we need to confront conflict just as soon as we possibly can. And our sin oftentimes is denying it or ignoring it. But the minute you begin to see conflict happening in your church between members, that's the time to jump in. Please don't let it get to where it is uh, several steps. And at those steps, when people begin to take side, and you can have healthy change without—you cannot have healthy change without conflict. And we're in the midst of tremendous changes in our churches today. And if you don't manage the rate of change appropriately, you'll produce destructive conflict. That means taking your time, helping people to understand why you're changing, and how you're going to change, and what uh, this means to them. Uh, I, I know today, uh, I heard somebody say recently, well, our worship wars are over, and, and that is so unrealistic. It is not true. Uh, we're still having tremendous conflicts about the nature and type of worship, and uh, we have to handle this very carefully and, and not just throw it at our people, but do it uh, just a little bit at a time. Pastor leadership style is a key factor where the conflict is constructive or destructive. It's in the hands of the pastor. God's not the author of chaos, but he's provider of qualities that lead to peace. And prior unreserved church conflicts exist as key ingredients in most church conflict situations. That's why in training transitional pastors that are going to be doing the interim time between pastors, we say try to get to the bottom of those conflicts and solve them before a new pastor comes in and inherits uh, these continuous conflicts that have been in the church. And when people grow spiritually and emotionally, they're less likely to be initiators of destructive conflict. So growing spiritually and developing spiritual life, prayer time and so forth, these are are ways that uh, we can uh, prevent conflict and at least prevent it from being destructive in the church. So we need to pray more and talk less about uh, issues that come before our church and then try to handle it as God would have us handle it as it's taught in the New Testament. So, uh, uh, Bobby, these are just some introductory things that uh, I would say before we come to the first question.
1: Well, I, I think, uh, Dr. Edgmond that these are critical things to help us to have a, uh, a good understanding uh, of conflict because I... I The churches I pastored, and I I can imagine most all of my friends and those who would be in our conference today, uh, if they have been in a church uh, for any length of time, there's been some kind of conflict. Uh, Sometimes it's uh, uh, what we stir up ourselves sometimes, but oftentimes uh, it's it's really out of our control the way it develops. But I love that Latin definition uh, (coughs) of to strike together. Uh, That's a a great way of, of thinking about conflict. Uh, and as many men in men's groups across our country have reminded themselves, iron sharpening iron, uh, that, that's two pretty strong forces coming together, but they come out stronger uh, because of that. And I think conflict has that same result oftentimes. Uh, let's talk about some of the, the root causes. What causes friction in the church uh, well, that results in conflict? Uh, uh, I think that uh, there are many
2: causes, uh Some of these, I said, are are secular type things. Uh, They uh, are unresolved things that are in the church that just keep coming up over and over again. And that's the the deadly kind. Uh, Sometimes there are those that are just uh, quick things such as Paul and Barnabas. They had to make a decision about uh, John Mark. They made that decision in the right way. Uh, That wasn't something that they had been having problems with. That just was for a moment, and they handled it well. But other kinds of conflict, uh, which are those things that come from the past, that have come up over and over again. When you look at church histories, you can see them. I always tell a pastor, before you go to that church, try to get at least five years of the business minutes and read those. And you're going to see a great deal about that church, and you're going to find out what they they have the most stress over. So here are the causes of uh, conflict within the church. Mostly it, if it could be something in the past. But then, then stress. We just have so much stress uh, in our world today. And when you get stress, you get uh, short-tempered, and you get people that are touchy and Uneasy about things, and so stress is a is a tremendous thing, and then confusion. If people don't understand, if uh, the pastor decides something and doesn't uh, explain it to his people, and uh, there's not a chance for them to talk about it, uh, it's, it creates confusion, and confusion is a, is a tremendous cause of conflict within the church, and then that old uh, uh, power problem of people wanting influence and power. And uh, oftentimes if a church is growing, that means new people are coming in and some of those that are old members, uh, their authority and perhaps their power base is threatened. And I've seen this over and over and over again. And so the search or want for power and then the rate of change We're going through so many changes today. Uh, We're we're not only changing in our worship styles, but we're changing in almost everything in our lives. And it is a huge rate of change. And so we need to be uh, very sensitive uh, as those changes come. Is this going to cause uh, conflict? How can we get ready for it? And how can we explain it in such a way that it will not cause that? And then, of course, communication difficulties, uh, just not being able to communicate. And I would uh, put a term on there besides communication, building relationships. Uh, so many times in uh, the lives of pastors, I, I see their inability to relate to their people. And if you cannot relate, uh, you're going to have difficulties all the time and building relationships within uh, with your people. Of uh, The uh, reason for uh, pastors, and the latest statistics we have, 2006, as uh, to why pastors are forced into termination, number one is control issues, who's going to control the church, and the second one is church resistant to change, and the third one is poor people's skills on the part of the pastor. I see all three of those are directly related to the pastor. So communication problems and relationship problems, and then congregational differences. Uh, we're not going to ha- have people that come in from so many different lifestyles and with different world views. And uh, I asked a pastor one time, why do you insist that every member that comes to, uh, into your church go through six weeks, of orientation and new member training and he made the statement, he said, we cannot re- afford an unredeemed membership and that was Jim Hendry and the, and the church was Orlando, First Baptist Orlando, Florida and he said, everybody in the world comes into Florida and we've got to be sure they know Christ before they become part of our, our congregation. Then when there are unmet needs within the congregation. Uh, how important it is for a pastor to understand the needs of that congregation and to be sensitive to everything that he sees that uh, that congregation could should relate uh, to meeting that need. And then fear, uh, fear of change, fear of uh, losing influence, just fear itself, and then a world view. And uh, that's just, again, the ideal of people coming in that have a different view and see through different lenses than the, the, the Christian sees through. And then decision-making style, uh, how decisions are made in the church. So basically, uh, these and, and perhaps many more, but these are the basic causes of friction and causes of conflict within the church. So, Bobby, you may want to comment on that and well,
1: uh, the next it, question. Yeah, it sounds like to me, in a nutshell, that you have pretty much validated what I've been saying for years uh, to pastors I work with and when I was pastoring as well, that very rarely, very rarely, are there significant friction, significant conflict within a congregation based on doctrine. And oftentimes, uh, you know, you hear that that's what uh, a battle is about, but oftentimes the local church. It's not, in fact, in what you have just uh, stated, uh, the the list of things you gave, the the friction, the circular kind of things, the unresolved things that are deadly, the past, the stress, uh, confusion, power, rate of change, uh, all of those things. Uh, those aren't generally caused by the pastoral leadership, communication, the building of relationships is the only one that is really critical. Uh, to that pastor on the front end but every one of those the pastor has to be effective in responding to which is a leadership issue uh, it's not necessarily he's not the cause but he needs to understand look how can I handle this how can I get a grasp on the the confusion or the power struggles the agendas the 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 things that are happening in the communication uh in, in the church and, and of course the building of relationships is critical uh all change isn't bad, uh, and I think the next question that we decided to discuss kind of helps us to see that. Why don't we move on into that? Maybe we can come back <clears throat> to um, some of these issues of friction because that keeps coming up <clears throat> and will keep coming up, no doubt. So h- how do we recognize when the conflict is a constructive conflict?
2: Well, I think that uh, everything you said is absolutely true. And one of the things that I'd like to emphasize, because I usually say this when I'm teaching this, the very first thing, I believe that if you have a mindset that you're going to spot conflict and that you believe under God's help that you can uh, stop it and that you can manage it in such a way that it will not be hurtful, that it can be done. I, I simply deny the fact that anything can reach a point where most of the time the pastor can't do something. Now, there, of course, there are areas that uh, it can go, but most things can be uh, handled if it's done right. Well, constructive conflict and destructive conflict is, uh, and how can you recognize it, is very important. Uh, destructive conflict is when members are unsure whether relationships can stand the, the strain of differences. Uh, when when people just uh, are not sure that uh, uh, they can uh, be able to disagree, then uh, that becomes a destructive conflict because there's no trust level. Then, secondly, members are rejected by some people who were once were their friends. This is some of the tragic consequences, and you know that this is a destructive conflict when people use words with violent meanings. Uh, this uh, again. Uh, When things get out of hand like that, uh, it's terribly destructive. When people sense or feel a sense that they've lost control, uh, that is a destructive uh, conflict. It seems that others want to split the church down the middle. That's the thought. Somebody else is doing this, and they want to split our church. That's very destructive. And when the membership loses sight of God's purpose for the church, all of those things are very destructive. Now, on the other hand, what can be constructive that is a positive nature uh, in conflict, that's when members feel confident in dealing with their differences. When there's no strain and people are allowed to talk and uh, they are able to talk through something, we, we say the best thing in solving this is collaboration, where that they can lo- literally sit down and everyone can go through it and then pray about it and say, let's find God's solution to this. The second thing, when decision making processes are fair and are exercised impartially, I think in moderation of um, any kind of conflict, one of the things you have to be very sure is that decision making is always fair and it is always uh, the people can see that you're not partial for one side or the other. Thirdly, members behave themselves in an appropriate Christian manner. Uh, When people do that, you can work through a conflict, you can come to a a collaboration as to what's the best uh, solution. When people are willing to cooperate with leadership and each other, a spirit of cooperation is necessary, and that can be very constructive. And then their main focus is is a common purpose if we can uh, bring people around Jesus and around his intent for the church and his purpose. Stay in the Bible. If we can do that, that can be very constructive. So there's kind of a list of both the constructive type of conflict and the destructive type. And uh, when you've reached that point where uh, people cannot talk Uh, then that's when you need just to have more prayer and more time together spiritually other than trying to solve that particular problem at that time. There are seven rules for keeping conflict healthy. Uh, Conflict can be healthy and useful uh, for our church uh, when we have the right spirit, uh, the spirit of Christ, as we go into that conflict. And conflict is neither negative nor positive. It is either mismanaged or it's managed. I know when I left LifeWay, and they uh, were very gracious to me, and they said, Roy, is there any course that uh, you would like to take uh, that would help you in your retirement? And uh, I said, yes, uh, there is. Uh, I'd like to go to Harvard Law School, and I'd like to take a course in arbitration and that uh, it will be expensive and it will cost some time. But uh, they were gracious enough to let me do it. And one of the first things I learned was that uh, if you look at life as being a uh, 360-degree circle, that usually when you talk about the things that you disagree with someone, there's just a small slice of that circle and that all of the other things you agree on it. That's the kind of uh, approach you need to take uh, toward conflict and that it's either managed or mismanaged. Thirdly, resolutions for quick agreement are worse when worked out uh, over a short period of time. In other words, give some time uh, to going through this, maybe two or three meetings of just talking about it together and praying about it together before you try to work out a solution. And then manage conflict fairly is the fourth rule of a healthy conflict. Take one issue at a time and explore all the dimensions of the problems. And that's why I suggest that uh, you really need to, to plan time, not to, to just uh, go at one session and say we're going to do this and we're going to come to a solution, but look at it, uh, take it apart, peel it off one section at a time. Fifthly, Work on an agreed setting as to how you're going to do it, how long you're going to spend talking about it. But six, and I guess this is more important than anything else, have appropriate behavior. No name calling and no mind reading and no information from some unnamed source. Those things should all be eliminated when you sit down and try to solve some difficulty that you're having. Uh, the no mind reading is well, you think this and and uh, then that information well, uh, somebody said, and you you just can't have those kind of things. So that's very important. And seventhly, know who's fueling the conflict, so can you, you can respond appropriately to that person. Uh, if someone is in the group, and you can just identify that. Uh, then speak to them about it. What is this? that Why are you feeling so strongly about that? So those are some things about constructive and destructive, and then uh, seven good rules for uh, being able to solve uh, conflict as you sit down and keep it healthy. So those are things that would be the the third uh, this uh, second question. And, Bobby, are you ready to go to the third one?
1: Yeah, let's do. In fact, um, i tell you what I want to do. I want you to keep your finger on those seven healthy rules because under question four, we're talking about strategies to keep the conflict healthy. Uh, and I'd like for you to at least read down the list again because uh, uh, we're moving pretty quickly, and if everyone on the line is like I am, uh, they're having a hard time getting uh, all that list. So I, I want you to read that through again when we get to number four. But but let's move on with our third question. What What biblical principles... Help us as leaders to be able to manage conflict effectively well I think it's
2: uh, it's so very important uh, that we we have the the spirit of Christ uh, when we we talk about uh, conflict and and we talk about resolution that we do it in a in a Christian way, uh, a way that uh, the Lord teaches us. Uh, and I think uh, some of those biblical principles. I'm, I'm taking these from Ken Sandy, who uh, has a wonderful book on uh, church conflict and, and managing church church conflict. But here are the principles that. Uh, yeah, let, let me interject
1: real quick. Uh, since you mentioned Ken Sandy, his, uh, he has a great website uh, on that as well. And if I remember right, it's uh, it's peace.org, I think, isn't it? You remember? I do not recall. Well, they uh, anybody could do a, a website search, a search with Ken's name and conflict resolution, uh, and find. But he has some he has some very good materials in addition to that book. So I think that's well worth noting. I'm sorry to interrupt, but go ahead. No, uh, and uh, the Sandy spell S A N
2: D E. Yes. And uh, not only that, but there are uh, great uh, if you just uh, go to your Google and click in uh, managing conflict, you will get some wonderful university sites. Uh, University of California, University of Minnesota, uh, Michigan. uh, All of these have sites that you can learn. You you can really teach yourself a great deal about managing conflict. That's a good resource, too. Thank you for helping us with that. Uh, These biblical principles that Ken Sandy uses are, first of all, know what is worth fighting over. And he used Proverbs 19 and 11. So really determine, is this uh, uh, something that... uh, that we need to, uh, to spend time on? Is it worth uh, discussing? And the second principle is know what your part contributes to the issue. Uh, are you a part of this uh, conflict? And he uses Matthew 7, 3 through 5. I'm not going to read these scriptures, but uh, I'll just give them to you. Uh, what, what part are you contributing to this conflict? And what can you do uh, to negate the conflict? And then the third one, practice mercy and grace in your relationship and actions. And that's a Matthew 18 uh, principle where Jesus uh, talks about uh, going to your brother and sitting down with him and trying to talk with him. And then also in Galatians 6 and 1, uh, it tells us to do this. And then the fourth one is practice Christian communication in Ephesians 4:15. Uh, were you What you say uh, is very important and how you say it and the lack of violence or threat in your language as you say it in Ephesians 4.15. And then he says, uh, practice Matthew 18, which we've already mentioned. Go to your brother and uh, try to solve it, and if not, take a brother with you, and then finally you bring it to the church. And then develop a forgiving spirit in Colossians three. 12 through 14, developing a forgiving spirit. And I think you have to have that coming into this management that you already are, are ready to forgive if you can come to a conclusion and uh, can solve this uh, in a Christian way. And then show an unselfish spirit toward others in Philippians 2 and 4. Uh, not a selfish spirit, but an unselfish spirit. Uh, go overboard. Uh, to understand your brother. And then the seventh one is overcome evil with good, Romans twelve twenty one. 21. Uh, be as good as you possibly can. Uh, one of my uh, favorite uh, studies is uh, Stephen Covey's uh, Seven Habits of uh, Highly Effective People. And I've taught that uh Uh, so many times to pastors, and I think it's the greatest leadership book that uh, I've ever studied or ever taught. But one of those principles, those habits, is uh, a win-win, and not a win-lose, or not a lose-win, but to work out a solution where you're satisfied. Both sides are satisfied, and uh, uh, that's a collaboration of solving a problem working together on that problem. And one of parts of the things that Stephen Covey says that uh, first, seek to understand, and secondly, to be understood. Now, that's a tremendous thing because you want to understand first as a Christian, please help me to understand why you feel this way. Now, would you listen to me and let me explain to you why I feel that way. So seek first, to understand, and then to be understood. That's the Christian way. So those are Bible principles that I think are very
1: important in working with uh, resolution of conflict. Dr. Esmond we're down to about six or seven minutes in our uh, just discussion time with us, and we have these two additional questions, uh, which I know we can't adequately cover, but I think we may take a couple of extra minutes before we go into the Q&A to try to do uh, a relatively good job with these questions before we open the, the floor up for other questions. Uh, but this, the fourth question is so critical, uh, I think, in the mind of, of those who would be with us today because strategies on how to keep conflict healthy we've already established uh, from the very beginning. The conflict's going to happen. Uh, there's going to be tension there's going to be friction at times in the church if there's two people together there's going to be some kind of a uh, misunderstanding at some point in time and so it has to be dealt with but what can we do as leaders what are some strategies that we can use to try to keep the conflict healthy so it doesn't uh, degenerate into this cyclical type of of pattern that years down the road it still keeps coming up it keeps cropping up and causing continual problems within our congregations. Help us with that. Well, I think I jumped ahead a while ago and gave seven rules for
2: keeping conflict healthy. Yeah,
1: and do remind us of those. If you'll just read down through them, not explain them necessarily, but then we can jump into that. Okay. Uh, First of all, recognize that it
2: can be healthy, that it's neither... positive or negative, that it uh, is just an event and it can be healthy, that this can help us maybe get over something that's been a, a problem in the past and and once and for all finalize it. And uh, it's either managed or mismanaged. And again, I think that's so very important that uh, as far as conflict is concerned, uh, the, the danger is how it is handled, especially by the pastor. Uh, And to deny it or to ignore it is just going to create problems that uh, will go on throughout that person's uh, time as a pastor. And then resolutions for quick agreement are worse uh, than those that were worked out over time. Spending enough time uh, to, it's kind of like taking an onion apart, just uh, one slice or one layer at a time. And be sure that you cover everything that is part of that problem. But take time doing it. And I've I've found that if we take time doing it, we're going to be spending more prayer uh, before that next meeting. And We're not trying to solve everything at one time. Some things you can, but those that are deep, you you cannot. And then managing it fairly. And then work on an agreed setting and uh, have some rules that you're going to go by. Uh, use appropriate behavior, no name-calling, no mind-reading, and no information from unnamed sources. And know who's fueling the conflict so you'll be able to respond appropriately. Uh, know who's, who's the one that's leading in that particular area. Now, this next uh, area, I really want to spend a, a little bit of time on this one. Uh, it's a program that was developed by Norris Smith, And Norris was a long time with the Sunday school board and probably the best uh, negotiator, uh, the best uh, manager of conflict and helping churches get out of uh, difficult things, moderator for uh, tension and problems that churches have. And he has what he calls a spiritual cycle of healing. So draw in your, maybe on your notes, just a circle and divide that circle into four parts, just a big plus mark right down the middle of it. And uh, the way that you start out, as you you start in the middle of of that uh, top uh, left-hand side, uh, you put the word confrontation. And that means that you're going to go to the person that you have conflict with and that you're going to ask to sit down with them and for you to tell uh, with passion uh, why this is such a problem to you or how it hurts you. You're going to uh, confront that person. And then the next uh, part of that uh, little circle at the bottom, that you're going to communicate what you heard, how you feel, and you want to understand why that was said. And then the next part of that circle going up now, And going up the right-hand side is forgiveness. Say to that person, your desire is that you might have peace with them, and that uh, if you've done something, uh, you want to ask their forgiveness if you've misunderstood, and if they've done something, you hope that they would be willing uh, to give you uh, an understanding and forgiveness uh, where it's it's two-way street you state your desire and your choice and then you're ready to release that person if they'll release you and then the top part of that coming up to the top of the circle is reconciliation that's where you negotiate and restructure your f- friendship or your fellowship where what you're going to do in the future if conflict ever comes again now I want to go through that by giving you a dialogue, and uh, it won't take just a moment to do it. But uh, here is an example of what we're talking about. Uh, the man that uh, that has offended you is named Bob, so we're going to use that word. Uh, Bobby, that's not you, but that's just in my... <laughs> uh, I won't take it personal.
1: <laughs> uh,
2: Bob, when you accuse me of sabotaging your project and call me a betrayer in front of the whole staff, I felt confused, angry, and defenseless. I would like for you to come to me personally and in private when you have these kind of problems with me. See, that's his desire, his reward. I would be more than glad to work with you and solve any conflict we may have in the future, the reward. And is his response, and is this possible in the future if other problems arise between us, I'll come to you about them, and you come to me. Are we willing to, do, to go forward with this kind of a commitment? Now, you say, uh, that's very simple. I did this in one church where five men had lawsuits brought against them by other members of the church. And we resolved every one of those lawsuits and had them dropped by that uh, circle of uh, a healthy spiritual healing. Now, before you go to a person like that, we say there's some preparation. You need to spend a lot of time praying uh, to get you spiritually ready. We suggest that you write out exactly what you want to say built around that concept, and that will prepare you mentally. And then you rehearse it. Talk it over with uh, your friend, your wife, your husband, and that prepares you emotionally. And then that you anticipate a response, what they might say. And this will help us as we uh, can talk with them further. If they do not uh, agree with us at uh, what we can do, we can be decisive about it. And then always make an appointment and tell them that you're going to talk about this because this is the ethical thing to do. And then decide the next plan of action about futuristically how you're going to handle uh, these problems if something comes up like that. And that's where uh, you said in the future, uh, if anything comes up, can we talk about them privately and never talk about them publicly? And then keep a record of what was said and write it down as quick as you get through with the, the time just so you'll remember and be able to quote it again. And then pray some more that uh, this is going to bring healing between that relationship. Uh, this I've used this over and over again between individuals, and uh, uh, you could get a copy of this. Uh, in fact, uh, Bobby, I'll I'll send you a copy of it uh, because I think it is so critical that pastors need this model.
1: That would be great, and I will tell you what—if you will email that to me, I will email it out to all of our registrants that are on the line with us today. Uh, I'd I be think glad that would to be that. helpful. I'd be glad to do it.
2: Sure. I just let me found ask you a So helpful when if it's if it's between two individuals, and oftentimes conflict starts between two individuals.
1: Let, let me ask you a question: When you're looking at this spiritual cycle, uh, in your experience, where is the place? that that we fall short most often
2: i think that that most often we do not get onto the problem quickly we let it go uh, either by denial or uh, just don't want to face it and uh, i have been dealing with a pastor uh within the last uh, three months and uh I could see it coming. I could see him losing his uh, influence with the congregation, uh, and uh, they called me in uh, two years too late. <laughs> and uh, it was uh, it was just a, a, a total. It could have been changed completely uh, if his relationship had been started on a positive way instead of. Uh, uh, letting it just continue to deteriorate. And he said to me, uh, I thought if I denied it, it'd go away. And uh, that, that's the biggest problem I see. Uh, when an issue comes up, uh, some people just don't like any kind of conflict. They do not like to confront something, and I don't either. But I know how destructive it can be if it's not stopped in the very beginning.
1: What a insightful process for us to look at how we can help bring healing uh, in times of conflict. i tell you what, uh, Dr. Edgman, I, I there are lots more questions I have, but I know that some of those that are on the line with us today have questions and would like to follow up as well. So we're going to, to kind of take a quick break and open up the phone lines. Uh, for our conference participants to ask questions. Now, all participants, you're going to need to self-mute your telephone. Uh, If your phone has the ability to do that, you may do it right there. If not, our conference bridge has the ability to do it. You just need to press four star to unmute or mute your phone either way. So mute your phone, pressing four star uh, to unmute your phone to ask a question. You'll need to press four star again. Uh, Finally, I want to ask that you do us a favor. And that is, when you ask a question or make a statement, if you'll give us your name before asking the question, uh, and then that way we'll have some idea who's calling and where you're calling from. Uh, If there's much of a lull, then I'll jump back in and continue our conversation uh, with Dr. Edgman. Uh, All right, let me unmute our phones. All right, and I believe our phones are unmuted now. Hang on just a second. Now we're unmuted, and uh, we want to ask that our first person ask the first question that they have. Uh, I believe we have a question uh, from Charles Lewis in Blytheville, Arkansas. Charles has a, a group uh, there meeting together. Brother Charles, are you on the line?
0: I'm on it. Can you hear me?
1: Yes, I can hear you fine, Brother Charles. Go ahead and ask your okay. question.
0: Well, Dr. Essman, what my question and the group I'm with is asking is if. As a prospective pastor, a staff person goes to a church, and you've indicated about finding out conflict, talking about the reading five years of business meetings, but that's not necessarily available to a prospective pastor. What What are some simple two or three things that you could look for, or we could say to a prospective pastor, to look for to see if what does, well, that, that's if there a good is good question.
2: Conflict and uh, i recognize that uh, you know you can't always get those uh those minutes i would certainly want to talk to to the previous pastor or maybe even uh a, t- a couple of them if there have been a short term i'd sure want to know why uh they stayed there such a short time i'd want to talk to a director of missions and uh, maybe even uh i know in one time when i went to a, a church uh And in Odessa, Texas, I I knew one of the pastors in town and asked uh, to have a conference with him. And uh, uh, all of that's very helpful. You cannot know enough and lots of questions. There is a book uh, that's uh, called The Interventionist by Lyle Shiler. And it is uh, questions that the church ought to ask the pastor. And questions the pastor ought to ask the church. Uh, I uh, recently worked with First Baptist Church Dallas and on their transition team, and then was consultant to their uh, search team. And uh, the man that uh, Dr. Robert Jeffries that they called, uh, they spent uh, uh, 20, 22 hours, I think it was, in discussions with him. And uh, that's not too long. And the other church I was working with uh, at the, the same time, they spent seventeen hours with pastor and his wife.
0: Okay.
1: Thank you, Dr. Edmond. Uh, Brother Charles, a follow up there.
0: Well, the follow up to it would be to to say what if you recognize some conflict and person pastor has not had any experience in that. What would be some simple places or or sites or things that he could get some starting points of dealing with conflict?
2: Well, I would talk about your state leadership because most of the state conventions have training in this area, and uh, I would try to take some training. You read books, but uh, if you have live uh, case studies that you can go through, and uh, usually every state convention has training in this area, and uh, you know if uh, you know do not even have any conflict in your church, I'd take that training, sir I'd be ready for uh, anything that would come along. All
1: right, Dr. Edmond, let's open the line up again, see uh, other questions that may uh, our conference may have. Someone else want to ask a question, give us your name where you are.
3: Bobby, Doctor Edgeman. Yes, uh, yes go right ahead. Tell
1: us your name and where you're from.
3: Thank you, Peter Kellum, Church and Pastoral Care with the California Southern Baptist Convention. And my question, Doctor Edgeman, is I'm I'm curious to know how you see arbitration fitting in the life of the Southern Baptist Church. We know uh, local church autonomy is both a blessing and a curse in our denomination, but uh, talk to us a bit more about arbitration, how you see that working in in Southern Baptist life, please.
2: Well, one of the reasons that uh, I wanted to take that uh, that training, I wanted to know uh, the best uh, that uh, I could uh, find out, the best training that I could take, and I felt that was it. I'd studied what they did and how they used it and their methodology. And the reason that uh, I wanted to take it because I had been – A interim, or what we call a transitional pastor, in 28 churches. And I realized that uh, for the last 20 years, every church I had gone to was in trouble and was having conflict. I have not been to a church in 20 years as a transitional pastor or a consultant. Right now, I'm spending most of my time as consultant to churches.
1: Mm -hmm. Follow up there, Peter?
3: Yeah, I just, um, we, we've gone through training with Peacemaker Ministries, Ken Sandy, which, by the way, the website is peacemaker.net. And uh, part of the uh, advanced training deals with both mediation and arbitration. And often we find churches are willing to uh, invite you in to help mediate in conflict, but arbitration, where you're rendering even a legally binding decision, Seems to be um, a bit unfamiliar to our churches Uh, because of their autonomy. They believe that uh, you know there is no authority from the outside who can sometimes uh, uh, make those decisions. But we know there's a biblical case for it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and other uh, places in Scripture. So I'm just wondering if if there's a if we're experiencing some cultural change in our churches where they understand the place and purpose for arbitration as well as mediation.
2: Well, I do not call what I do arbitration. I wanted to study the methodology. Mm. And so uh, I mediate what I call when I go in with a church. Right. And uh, But I wanted to learn the best principles that I could possibly make. And uh, it's just that Harvard calls it arbitration. Okay. But it's the principles that I wanted to learn.
1: Very good. Thank, thank, you. thank you for that question, Peter. Do we have someone else who would like to ask a question? Dr. Edgman?
4: Yes, Bobby, can you hear me?
1: Yes, we can. Just speak right up. Tell us who you are and where you're calling from.
4: Sure thing. Thank you. Uh, George Fountain in Monroe, Michigan. Thank you, Dr. Edmond, for being with us today. Uh, I've got a couple of questions. First would be, um, is there something being offered in our seminaries currently that will serve to equip those coming out of seminary in this area of ministry?
2: Uh, I'm not aware of it. Uh, mm. I just uh, so many of the things today uh, are so so uh, uh, oh, scholastic. And so little practical help.
4: Yes.
2: And uh, we, uh, I teach and help with one of the writers of the transitional pastoring, which is all in that material. This is what I'm sharing with you is in material. And uh, seminaries have listened to us, and uh, one of them uh, wants to develop a course uh, on uh, the first two years of your ministry. And uh, we looked at that, and we felt like it ought to be a required course, yes. and uh, the decision of four deans was uh, three more hours of Hebrew instead of a course on practical ministry.
4: Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, I find that to be so gravely disappointing. I'm at the, the back door of my ministry, so to speak, and I'd have given anything to hear 25 years ago what I've heard this last hour, but hear it more intensely and to be able to apply it uh, at the local church is just awesome. My second question would be, um, what is a pastor to do if, in fact, he cannot bring his leadership together? Should he remain? Is it better that he um, choose another option?
2: Well, you know, it's it's so hard to know, to answer that without knowing the, the circumstances I think that the pastor always has to think, is my being here helping the church more or would it be better, am I a part of the conflict, would it be better if I leave? And uh, I think that's the, the question you always have to ask and ask God's leadership in that. Is, you, know, you never want to split a church, but at the same time, if you're the only hope that's holding that church together, uh, you don't want to leave them either. Sometimes I you know know that pastors feel like, boy, if I could just bail out, I could uh, have some peace. And uh, I did an interim with uh, a church for two years and two months, and it was the worst uh, experience I've ever had in my life. And, but finally, uh, the church came together and called a pastor 100%, and he has been there now uh, 10, 12 years and the church has grown, and how many times I thought, boy, I'd like to just bail out of this, and I'm so grateful that I didn't.
1: Thank you for that question, George. Uh, Dr. Edgman, we've got three or four more minutes, so we want to take at least a uh, one more question and see if we can handle that. So, and then I, I'd
2: like to give an illustration like
1: before I, I leave. <laughs> Have another question? All right, we don't have somebody speaking up, then uh, uh, I, I don't think we've really resolved all of our questions today, Dr. Edgman, but, uh, but maybe we've started making some good progress in that direction. Uh, any closing comments you would like to make to us in this area?
2: Yes, I would, uh, Bobby. In that church that I stayed with for two, two years and two months, uh, there was one family that uh, I would make a, an appointment with this uh, particular person and uh, they would break the appointment every single time for two years and two months. And on a Sunday morning, I told a story. It was the Sunday before the pastor was coming to in view of a call. And I told a story about a young woman who uh, uh, was had a happy life, a mother and a father uh, had her education was uh, engaged to be married, and uh, her mother and father were suddenly killed in an automobile accident. And she went into deep grief. She had uh, no spiritual foundation, uh, did not know the Lord, and her grief was so bad that she was uh, employ- her employers uh, had to let her go. She she couldn't work. And uh, then her fiancé broke their uh, marriage uh, uh, commitment. And uh, she came finally to the point she was ready to take her own life. And she climbed up on a bridge. And on that bridge, she looked across and saw the steeple uh, with a cross on the top of it. And just uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, she was drawn to that cross she came off the bridge and just as she found the church and walked up the walk the pastor was coming out and he saw her distress and he asked her could he help her and and she says i was on the bridge and i was about to take my life and i saw your cross and i wonder is there any love under that cross and i gave that illustration And I said, you know, uh, the church that I was serving in had a high spiral and cross on the top of it. I said, I wonder how many people in the last two years have uh, walked by or driven by and saw that cross and asked that same question, and I don't know how to answer it. Is there any love under this cross? And the woman that I had been trying to reach was in the congregation, and I did not know it. As far as I know, except for business meetings, that's the first time that she had attended in those two years. And she came forward immediately during the invitation, and she said, I'm the woman on the bridge, and I wonder if there's any love and forgiveness under this cross. And I turned to the congregation and told them what she had said, and I said, I'm not going to answer her but she's going to stand here, and if there's any answer to that, you're going to have to give it. And revival broke out in that church. The service went on for at least an hour and a half more with people making reconciliation. So what I had tried to do uh, over two years' period of time, the Holy Spirit did an hour and a half, and that's what really brought that church together. So i give you that illustration if you can use it in any way. Uh, Because I think people are asking, is there any forgiveness? Is there any love under that cross?
1: What an outstanding illustration. Dr. Edgman, we want to thank you today for your valuable time and for sharing your expertise with us. Uh, I know that we surely haven't answered all of our questions about resolving conflict in the church, but my hope is that today's conference has put us on the right track for a greater kingdom impact uh, in our churches. For our audio conference ministry, I'm Bobby Gilstrap, and I want to thank you for joining us today. And I hope you'll join us again for our next Audio Conference for Pastors.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Audio Conference for Pastors. Listen to future episodes by visiting audioconferenceforpastors.com or by subscribing on iTunes. An archive of past episodes is also available. Join us next time as we continue to develop leaders to their God-given capacity on the Audio Conference for
4: Pastors.